0: And circle up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are back in Scotland, in Embra, with a long-time 40-year hasher, the Curator. Welcome. Hey there. Curator, let's get everyone to know you. When and where and how did you start hashing?
1: Right. Well, there are two hashes in Edinburgh, the original one founded in 1981 and then a breakaway group on a Wednesday night as opposed to the traditional Sunday that was uh, started up as a kind of an alternative. So you didn't give up a whole Sunday traveling miles into the countryside. This was a Wednesday night fit it in easy session. I knew nothing about hashing at all at that point. I determined rather late in life, just before my 40th birthday, that it was time I ran a marathon. i have always done various sports, liked running, but never taken it seriously. I thought I was reasonably fit, having done, I think I've represented school, college, or university at nine different sports, mostly at low level. So I'd run a lot, but not done running. So I had to get training, and I live in Central Edinburgh, right beside a vast expanse of green called the Meadows. So, mile and a half rounds, so I would just run endless loops of the Meadows six nights a week. And one time, I met this guy coming towards me, gave me a wave. We quite often, do that, total stranger. But this guy had a bugle in his hand. That's <laughs> funny. And then trotting along behind him was an array of runners. Now, it was obvious by their apparel and their running style, these were not our super athletes. (laughs) These were people out for a jog. And I thought, interesting, especially being led by a bugler. And then I saw someone I knew in the pack and shouted, what's this group then? And they shouted back, but we were going in opposite directions. And I didn't catch what she said. So two guys lifted me under the armpits and said, come with us. This fantastic. Was the, <laughs> this was the breakout public run of this group. Because they were a breakaway, they were a bit shy to begin with. So they did 12 private runs from people's houses. And this was their come out of the closet night from a pub with all the hash paraphernalia. And this was technically run 13, but it was their first outing, as it were. There was I drawn into it and never looked back.
0: That is fantastic. I've always heard people accidentally finding the hashes or running into them, but actually being taken physically. <laughs> right. With your will on the hash. That's <laughs> yeah. a great story. Okay, what was the name of the
1: club exactly? The Edinburgh Hash House were the original one in Edinburgh, and then this alternative breakaway Wednesday night group, they called themselves the New Town. Now, you've got to know a bit about Edinburgh history or you're so easy to misunderstand these terms. Mm-hmm. The old town of Edinburgh is medieval. The New Town is already 250 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not concrete and glass, but it was new compared with the ancient medieval town. And a lot of the guys lived in the new town, so they just decided to call it the New Town Hash House um, But it has the nice acronym TNT so it got the nickname TNT the Big Bang Hash
0: <laughs> That's great <laughs> Just give me a few details of what you remember from that besides being picked up under the armpits about how many people were there, it was mixed men and women, How about how many runners were there?
1: Yeah, it's a mixed hash and I guess on that first public outing there would have been 30 or 40
0: Did they have a circle?
1: And you immediately figured out what a hash circle was? Yes, though in Scottish climate we don't often have outdoor circles because you freeze to death uh-huh. if you're all sweated up <laughs> and especially if you have hit a pint or two and then go outside it's none too pleasant so the circles generally happen inside the pub so it's not a, a geometrical circle by any means it's right. a gathering now we tend to favor the hares always look for this pubs which have a private room Mm -hmm. and then we can get up to our down downs in proper fashion if it's in with the general public it does tend to inhibit things a bit sure you can't just throw beer around and expect the management to say that's fine we don't mind our nice carpet being (laughs) (laughs) sodden. yeah The circles tended to to be a little different. In midsummer, sure, if the pub at least has a car park we can go out to, if not an adjacent grassy spot, that's so much better.
0: Right. Among these sports that you had Done for so long. Was rugby one of them?
1: Played a little rugby, but not on a representative level. The school I went to, it was compulsory for the first three years. Mm-hmm. And then you could choose to do either rugby, football, or hockey. And now this is hockey meaning grass hockey, not ice uh, hockey.
0: Right.
1: I chose hockey because I was actually raised in the Highlands in Glencoe. A little football was played by the Sissies, but all the big boys played shinty. <laughs> which is a, a wooden club, vaguely like a hockey stick. People rather unkindly call Shinty hockey without rules. <laughs> it, it does have rules, but they're less robust than hockey.
0: Yeah.
1: So all the boys in the village of Glencoe played Shinty. And indeed, I remember we moved there at the age of six. And the first thing my father did was to go to the local wood whittler and say, cut this guy a K-man." That's the name of the, the shinty stick. Ah, so,
0: brilliant. I was wondering if the, in the circle, did you recognize any of the songs from any of the sports rugby type singing, that first circle?
1: I can't say I did because athletics was not high on the agenda, shall we say. Yes. It was quite clear that running was done for, for a variety of reasons, more social than sporting. It it was an outing with your pals. Most people chattered away on the run, complete lack of competitive edge to it. And then after the run, it was talking about everything under the sun. The performance really was immaterial. I knew right away I wasn't getting involved with serious athletes.
0: You were out there running,
1: getting in shape.
0: Did hashing
1: allow you to keep running? And did you keep pursuing that? Yes. Well, in fact, hashing really formed the basis of my running career because all I wanted to do was one run, one marathon. I had this romantic notion. I knew the story of the ancient Athens and all that. And indeed, I went on to run the, the actual course at Athens, marathon into Athens finishing in a wonderful marble stadium.
0: I've been there and I, I visited, watched. I don't know if I saw you run. It was my trip there to watch the marathon was early 2000s. Right. Mine was
1: 1986.
0: Oh, okay. But we I ran with the Athens hash and, and RA'd the circle right outside the finishing. We tried to get in. They figured out they wouldn't let us in. Great. The hash contributed to you staying in
1: shape and running. From then Absolutely. On to- because th- there were a few semi-serious runners there. And after I'd done my one marathon that the hash helped me train for, I got running in the blood. So... You can't just run marathons all the time. Mm -hmm. But I heard about this thing called the half marathon. after (laughs) you've done a full one, switching to a half is a piece of cake. I would run a half marathon for several seasons every weekend from, say, April to September. Wow.
0: And where were you running? Were they all in
1: Scotland? I've done a very few outside Scotland. One in England one in California, just one or two around. But I was trying to do every one in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And I got up to 87 before I got a medical condition that stopped me running, which was running road racing, which was really aggravating. But I did the 87 and quite a few more. I've done more than 100, because I duplicated some of the ones I liked. And just to keep fit, yeah, and in those days I was quite fit several times I did two in a weekend a Saturday oh. and a Sunday and they might be 80 to 120 miles apart so there was travel involved as well a little group of us started doing half-miles and just regularly we were known rather sarcastically by the rest of the pack as Team Sanyo not that we had any connection but it was just like we'd been sponsored you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they regarded us as semi-professionals You try to make a likeness of it. Of course, the hash doesn't take too serious athletes.
0: Who were some of those racers or racists, as we call them?
1: Right. Now, they're all long disappeared. There was the pupae, whose name was Grub, and he was the younger Grub. (laughs) (laughs) His elder brother was a doctor who was dispatched somewhere in a hurry. So he was the flying doc. There was Brutus. A a murdered Roman emperor, I think. Mm -hmm. Not sure how he got his name. Few people like that, but they've all long since disappeared. I was left running. We used to do a team of us, maybe five, six, uh, at some of these half marathons, but laterally I was the only one left.
0: Wow, that's great. But I
1: went on then to run a lot of marathons because. I like hot climates. Mm -hmm. Scotland doesn't suit me. It's far too chilly for me. So I went on to do 26 full marathons. That was in 14 different countries around the world.
0: Wow. uh, Give us a quick list.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Hit as many as you recall.
1: Right. Well, we've mentioned Athens, Bangkok, Honolulu, Oslo, San Francisco, Marrakesh. Rome.
0: That's a great travel passport. Were you able to hash in any of
1: these places? Well, that's the thing. I wanted to keep in trim. So not the night before, but either a couple of nights before or night after, I would stay on in these places, you know, traveled a long way to get there. Why rush home? I work (laughs) freelance now, so my time was flexible. So I would always do at least one hash with the place I'd run the marathon in.
0: That's a great where have you hash trail to then?
1: Indeed. I, I met people on the marathon wearing a hash t shirt. (laughs) and they said, what are you doing afterwards? I said, going back to my hotel, hey, we've got an on-on especially for the marathon runners here. And it wasn't just the three or four of their their particular pack who had run. The rest of the pack gathered in and made it a social occasion. So that was really great.
0: That's brilliant. Do you have a favorite marathon or one of those trips that you recall?
1: I tell you, people ask me that quite often. I've done 26. You must have a favorite Everyone was interesting because everyone was different. One mm-hmm. I remember with fondness was Rome because I have three qualifications in historical architecture. And indeed, at school, I did a course on Roman and Greek architecture. When the pain sets in, and it always does at some point in a marathon, right. you look around to try and distract yourself. And here were all these buildings that I was familiar from old prints and modern photographs, and here they were in real. So that was a great relief from the pain. Oh, that's brilliant. But I guess my favourite one now. I am detecting. Are, are you called R A or Ra? Ra. Ra. I thought that because they uh, initially Run To Eat sent me capital R capital A, but from you it's always been capital R small A. so yeah. Ra it is. Now, Ra's an ancient Egyptian god, yes?
0: Indeed, yes. (laughs) I I was in Cairo hash across three decades, about 15 years. I introduced hash naming in the Cairo hash, and then Ah. uh, Cyprus, they gave me that. I don't know. It ended up being probably the shortest hash name in the world, and I I like it. But I have a few less flattering add-ons that people tried to change it to, but I like that one.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Okay, Rob, well, maybe my favorite one. Now, I'm detecting an American accent with you. Would that be right?
0: I'm in Toronto now, but I'm born and raised in Pennsylvania.
1: Right on. Okay. Now, I was very unguarded saying American there. I should have said North American. I've called Canadians Americans. I've called Austrians Germans. I've called Kiwis Aussies. <laughs> no, one's, no one's punched my lights out yet.
0: What do they call you? Because you have an unmistakable, I think, Embrax, I guess.
1: Yes, though so I've moved around a lot. I was raised, as I said, in the highlands. Mm. There's a bit of highland still in there. Mm. I've moved around a lot. I, I was once accused of having a mid-Atlantic drawl. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite... Marathon, I think, was New York. Uh-huh. A, a biggie for a start. Now, I did it in 86, and that was the first time it had gone through all five boroughs. Now, that entailed going over at least four bridges. Right. The public weren't allowed on the bridges for fear of the weight. You know, add was bridges are long if you include the the lead-on roads as well. So the public were banned. So you're tramping over these bridges could take twelve, fifteen minutes from one side to the other, and all you can hear is the pounding of feet, and wow. then you come off and the crowds are there again. And the wow. last one I remember, I think it was Brooklyn, came off onto Fifth <coughs> Avenue, and the people were like 30 deep either side of the road, and the cheer you got coming off from silence, that roar. Uh, after 20 miles, that was an uplifting experience.
0: Oh, that's a great drama. Neat. About four years after you ran that
1: marathon,
0: we had the first Hepset marathon in Cairo. It turned into the Pyramids Marathon. We ran around Cheops, the Great Pyramid, down the roads to Saqqara, ran around those pyramids and came back. Oh. And- and the race director was a woman called Marie Francis, who was, who had organized Miss, Miss Universe Egypt contest. This was the first marathon in Egypt since the ancient time. And she brought over as a consultant, Fred LeBeau, the New York City marathon race director and four runners from New York. We ran the race. So many things went bad that at the wrap up meeting, Marie asked Fred, what do you think? about this and he said never do this again (laughs) but they kept doing it they did (laughs) it was such a disaster i got talked into running the whole marathon instead of a half marathon i was not trained for it but i got them where number one so i said well if i can have number one i'll enter the marathon oh boy i was hit by a donkey and knocked over on the trail back home and It was quite an adventure. Fred Lebeau was the iconic race director of New York during that time you ran
1: that. Wow. I wish I had run that. That would have been (laughs) classic. Now, alas, I've I've never hashed in Africa. Uh Marrakesh. No hash I could find. And then I've been in Cairo, but at the wrong time of the week.
0: Right. Wow.
1: Uh, it wasn't Hash Night, and I couldn't stay out. It was a package deal. We right. were there for two nights only, and they weren't Hash Nights. So that was very frustrating.
0: How did you get your Hash name? It's
1: Curator, right? Right. Well, it begins very boringly. When I joined the Hash, I was a professional museum curator. I did my degree in Scottish history, and for 15 years, I was the local historian with edinburgh city museums so it was edinburgh history i specialized in and this was oddball enough when they asked me you know what do you do and i said well i'm a museum curator i got the handle curator yes but just to give it a different tinge i don't spell it c-u-r-a-t-o-r because i went to australia for their bicentennial 1988 Mm-hmm. I'd never been in the Southern Hemisphere before, so quite a trip. I'd just given up my job to go freelance. I did, didn't want to come home again. I suddenly had this flexibility of life. From the Southern Hemisphere in midsummer, going back to Scotland in midwinter, not a good move. Hashers put me up here and there and yon. And I stayed for six months. Wow. So I had a lot of hashers, a lot of hospitality. One or two have been in Edinburgh, and I've managed to to thank them accordingly. But the rest I, I'll never see.
0: How about a couple names of those
1: people, in case people know who they are? Ah, now, I remember Easy Rider in mm-hmm. Sydney, who was kind to me in one of these respects, putting me up. Nice. Also the founder of Edinburgh TNT Hash House Ariers moved to Sydney. Bad news.
0: All right. And nice. stayed
1: with him a while. And his good lady who was an Australian, Wee Winky. All right. So there were quite a few guys that I met there. But I did a lot of hashing in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. The Grandmaster there was called the Lord. <laughs> He had a sister who did occasional hashing, and we got kind of friendly, and she took a week off work and drove me all over Tasmania, amazing island, and we hashed in various places. And when they heard my name curator, first of all, there was a misunderstanding because Australians, a curator, is not a guy who runs a museum. He's the person who takes care of the grass on the cricket pitch. (laughs) So there were a few confused conversations When people would say, oh, you're a curator, what do you think of the test wicket then? (laughs) (laughs) But in Tasmania, they all called me the curator. So I thought, okay, I'll spell it with a Q. And so I made it phonetic. I now spell my name Q-R-A-Y-T-O-R, curator. Nice. There's only one of them around.
0: Have you been in
1: mismanagement or leadership of
0: the TNT there?
1: Yes. Now, they call it different things, different packs. The spiritual advisor, some people do tell stories, or religious advisor. And I wondered if that was you, because a religious advisor is often shortened to RA.
0: That's a coincidence, but I was the RA in, <laughs> in, for almost 20 years in various hashes and for 15 what? years in Cairo. There was a confusion there, but it, that's another reason the name's good. So you took the role
1: of RA? Well, I'd only been on the hash a few weeks. And there was a change of committee due. And they said, would you like to be the RA? I used to be quite shy, retiring person, not promoting myself at all. And of course, you you don't survive long on the hash with that disposition. Everyone seems very outgoing. But it suddenly changed my character. But I thought, do I really want this RA job after only doing half a dozen hashes. But I thought, wow, let's give it a go. And it was great fun. So I was already twice, once in the 80s, once in the 90s, And then I was GM one year as well.
0: Brilliant. Now, did you have opportunity to give other hashers any names? Is there any that you recall where you named or contributed?
1: That's one of the delights of being in that position. (laughs) I'm trying to think. This is all a long time ago. This is 20th century history we're delving into now. (laughs) There were a couple came from Holland for a few months I think they were on some attachment. And the guy had a handle already and his wife didn't. Yes, he was called Heavy Breather. (laughs) So I gave her the handle to go with that (laughs) coming shortly.
0: (laughs) Nice. Let's talk about TNT over the years. From that day where they picked you up by the armpits with about 30 people. Has it changed or has the pack size varied?
1: If anything, it's bigger. Nice. Very few people leave. I find they either join and do one hash and we never see them again, uh-huh. or they might do three or four and you can tell they're not fitting in and they go. But people that stay, stay on. Uh-huh. And the only people that leave is because they're just plain too old for it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> it doesn't get massive influx of new people at all just occasionally now and again of course if they're doing short-term work in edinburgh which especially attached to university this can happen they're only there for a few months so you know they're going to go it's a very stable group actually there is new blood coming in you need new blood sure Mm-hmm. but not vast amounts of new people coming and going etc it's pretty stable
0: so you've gotten to hash in conjunction with your travels and your marathon
1: travels
0: what about hash events specifically going to big hash events Yay. have you been to any
1: yes i did five interhashes in a row nice and Two special ones in Kuala Lumpur: the fiftieth and the sixtieth anniversaries. All right, course, running with mother hash—it's—it's it's, it's a bit like Muslims going to Mecca. It's something every uh-huh. hash around the world wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> so that was great
0: what was the first interhash
1: that you attended the mother hash 50th anniversary or was that a, no that wasn't an interhash that was a separate event so that
0: was just a special event yeah
1: that's right first interhash gee, it's so long back
0: were they the ones in the 90s
1: yes they were all in the 90s okay so it must have been in, in southeast asia
0: right it could have been Phuket or
1: Manila 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 was the first one okay cool. that was 1990 right hang on a sec I'll All right. Show you something. Memories of Manila.
0: Oh, there it is. Okay. Inter- and then just download Interhash Philippines, March 90. Yeah, and uh, some uh, kind Jeep of buggy, news. the Jeep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Jeep oh, called out there. Yeah. And then yeah. raise it up a little bit. There's something,
1: looks like there's something along the bottom. Yeah. The Philippine Experience. Okay, cool. Nice. Well, they called it. Um, the Thriller in Manila. Yeah. And the hash organisers were sued in the court of law. <gasps> really? Because that was the tag they gave to that, was it Muhammad Ali? And uh, Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier fight, yeah. Oh. And they were actually sued.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Don't know if they had to cough up anything, but legal action was initiated. Wow. Now, it was quite funny. We all got these wooden mugs on registration. And if you left it with them, a little guy with a hammer and chisel would cut your name on it. Ah. So they said, what's your hash handle? And I said, the curator, spelled with a Q. And they said, yes, the Kuwaita. I said, no, <laughs> curator, spelled with a Q. Yes, Kuwaita, spelled with a Q. I didn't know you with an R yeah so what happened when I got the mud back
0: Q, <laughs> oh my god go yeah uh, well that so, let me just we we'll pulled that up I'm gonna get another snap of that okay
1: so when I got back the RA looked at my mud and addressed the assembled company and said welcome back the gland master <laughs>
0: That's great.
1: So missing out on an hour can lead to all sorts of things. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. That was the start of several inner hashes in a row for you then?
1: That's right. All, so, all through the 90s.
0: Yeah. I I was hashing but I didn't get to an inner hash until 94 which was in Rotorua.
1: Alas, I never got to New Zealand. Oh, okay. And I wanted to go to Rotorua, but by this time I was freelance, no regular salary and it's a precarious business. I paid off my mortgage, so I owned my flat, so I couldn't be homeless. But it was uh, very hard to get up a big sum of money, Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't raise the airfare.
0: Did you get to Cyprus?
1: yes went to the missile one
0: so we've gotten a little bit of your background how was it giving up being ra once you took the role of ra your kind of personality grew with it and as a hasher what was it like to step down as ra and go back into the circle
1: one of the nice things is is that every now and again, the RA won't turn up and the GM will look around for previous RAs. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't giving up entirely, but it was still only maybe two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. So it was a little of a come down just being in the throng. It did take the pressure off you Mm -hmm. because you'll know yourself, I'm sure, from being RA and the hash being what it is, People don't actually load you with compliments. You do a really superb (laughs) job. Your best friend might say that wasn't too bad. If you're not on top form, you can really get heaps. (laughs) Right. So in a way, it was a relief not to have the weekly strain of performing at top level or being seen as a failure. Sure. So I did it twice, I think six, seven years apart. So it was nice to come back, and the second time I found it much easier because I knew the ropes, as it were. Yeah. And then getting to do the odd one now and again. But the nice thing about traveling too, because I've tried to hash wherever I've gone and I've traveled a lot. So I've now hashed in 34 different countries with 138 different packs. Wow. So that's a lot of hashing. Yeah. <laughs> and many a time when they've discovered that I was, because it sounds very pretentious, Rob, I've had weak cards printed with the curator on them, XRA, XGM inter international jogger <laughs> nice i'm giving a few details because people often say we might be in scotland one day to we can we have a contact
0: absolutely so rather
1: than write it down on a bit of beer sodden paper that will be destroyed before the evening's out and give them one of my cards and occasionally i've had a contact which is nice so i put this uh, little X, xra xgm just mm-hmm. to let them know who i was And they said, oh, would you like to array the circle then? And the first one, I thought, what? You know, a visitor only there for a week. After that, I got kind of used to these requests. So I was half prepared. But I'll tell you a funny story there too. I've traveled an awful lot in Indonesia. It's an odd reason. Searching, finding, writing up, and often buying antique Scottish pottery
0: wow
1: because one of my special interests is ceramic history and to my amazement the scottish pottery industry which hasn't existed as such for for over half a century for more than 200 years they were exporting all around the world and especially to southeast asia now this was the dutch east indies it wasn't part of the british empire but Mm -hmm. it went there by the million and everywhere i traveled i would find it incredible. So I would be going everywhere I could find. I've been on every major inhabited island. I've spent a long time in the depths of the forests of central Borneo. I'm still finding it. Now, there were no hashes there, though I did meet a longhouse chief wearing a hash t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. He'd, he'd been traded this in some deal, but, but it was great fun going around. And Indonesian is a very easy language to learn. Mm. I'm not a linguist, but you can pick up. All you do is learn nouns and the occasional verb, which you don't conjugate. You just say a verb and people know by the context what you mean. Mm-hmm. So I was so confident at one of these occasions I think it was the island of Mataram, which is one along from Bali. And I gave my RA's oration in Indonesian, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow. The hazards there, there's a few local Malays, but they tend mostly to be the Chinese, ethnic Chinese. Mm-hmm. I discovered my jokes weren't going down all that well. I thought I thought that was quite amusing. Wonder why they didn't. It turns out that these guys hardly spoke Malay at all. <laughs> they all. They all spoke Hokkien. And I only have a few words of Hokkien. I could never give an RA's address up there. So it was falling on deaf ears.
0: That's brilliant. Wow. But that's, but I, uh, that's I, great I to I'd try in so, different languages.
1: Well, I thought I'd done so well. It was a complete flop. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's brilliant. So 138, you have the records, obviously. Any idea how many hashes you've been on in 40 years?
1: Total number. Well, I've done... I think it's 784 with Edinburgh TNT. Mm -hmm. And then I've done maybe 20 with the other Edinburgh hash, just to be sociable, usually at Christmas time. This is a good party afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then apart from that, I haven't repeated that many. The Southeast Asian capitals that I've been through many times Bangkok, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Hong Kong. I've probably done 20 or 30 with all of those. Mm -hmm. But the great majority of those 138, I've only done one and only ever will do
0: one. Mm -hmm. Did you pick up hash gear
1: memorabilia, hash t-shirts from any of those? Absolutely. I tried to get a hash t-shirt everywhere I've been. I now keep them in large egg transporting boxes because they hold a lot of t-shirts. Right. Because I must have close on 200.
0: And are they organized by time
1: or continent or anything? They are now, because our mutual friend run to eat. Now, you know, during lockdown, no hashing, of course. Mm -hmm. They've started here again, but only in recent weeks. So for a year and a bit, we had virtual hashes. Every right. Wednesday night. And it started off with trails. People were taking photographs you know, to guess where the next checkpoint would be and such like. But ran out of that, so especially in the winter time. So it just developed into a sort of general quiz night on all manner of topics. I did five of those, I think. Three of them were based on music from the sixties. Oh, wow. Uh, which is my main era. Now, of yeah. course, hardly anyone in the pack was even born in the 60s to <laughs> remember. So what I had to do was frame the questions more general knowledge mm-hmm. than who was that singer, because they would never know. So that was good fun. And then I had to live up to my professional reputation. So I did an Edinburgh history quiz. But the last one I did, uh, you know run to eat is collecting hash shirts. Uh-huh. And I've promised her quite a bundle of mine, the ones that I don't have too strong a sentimental attachment for. I'll look out for her. Right. But what I did, my last quiz, was a hash T-shirt quiz. And hmm. I think it was 20 or 24 hash T-shirts, that now I'm a very low tech person, Ra. I can't handle high technology. So I just weird Zoom calls, I just held them up to my camera, mm-hmm. showed them the hash logo and asked questions about that, general knowledge questions rather than where is this obscure place they never would have heard of. Right. Uh, there was often a clue in the logo as to why this place had some sort of notoriety or fame. And so I'd work my questions around that to give people a chance of getting them right.
0: What were some of the t-shirt locations you picked for that quiz? What's an example? Ooh, let's
1: think. A place in Indonesia on the island of Borneo called Samarinda. Mm -hmm. And that is famous for the logo that appears on the t-shirt, which looks like a whale. So I told them it wasn't. It's a fresh river dolphin, huh. and it was leaping large on the T-shirt. Right. Some of them twigged that when I told them it looks like a whale, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of them didn't get the right animal. I mentioned that quiz I did for our virtual run a couple of months ago. I've got all the questions and, and these, the 20-odd T-shirts in a separate box, Mm. So maybe I ought to make sure that that stays together, the the questions plus the answers, of course. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Was that recorded? Did they record that?
1: I don't think Run to Eat ever got around to recording these things. It was talked about.
0: It might seem a little odd to some people, but it's such a good part of history and visual with the t-shirts. Maybe we can do it as part of another call. I think pulling them out and running through that quiz with a video recording would then make it available. I could publish it as part of this Hash History podcast. I think it would be really great to see those t-shirts. That questions not being hash related is fine. But it's such a big part of hash history, hash t-shirts from widely done. So maybe we can work that out. You can get warmed up and we'll do it on another
1: time. Right. That's a brilliant thought. I'll tell you at the end of that. Now, this was only a couple of months ago. And the initial enthusiasm for these virtual runs was beginning to wane. I think people were pining for the outdoors again. Right. So there were only seven or eight people on that Zoom call. But several people said at the end, including the virtual GM, you've got to do this again sometime. And it was a lot of work. And I spent four or five days solid on this. <laughs> you know, first of all, going through the T-shirts trying to think now how would this fit into a quiz and then checking up on all the, the details. So it'd be a great shame if it was limited you know, to half a dozen people. And several of them said, you've got to do it again. But then no one knew how, when, why. But if you could rig something up, that would be brilliant.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I can get much of an audience. It might be just a presentation. But we can do a little interview, tell the story of your preparation, a little bit of your background. And then at least maybe I can find a couple people. I'm not so concerned about the reaction as your presenting of all this. But right. let's do that because then it'll be available to the world forever, and I think hey, that, that's a brilliant thing. What a brilliant
1: suggestion!
0: Okay, well now I don't feel now I don't feel so inferior to your your life and <laughs> diverse background. Okay, cool. Okay, so we'll do that. In fact, this recording has gone on so long it will need to be two or three episodes of this podcast. <laughs> on 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 on. That is part 1 with Curator from Emberett, Scotland. We'll be back with more from Curator in a later episode and his special worldwide t-shirt quiz as an example of what the hashers got up to during the pandemic lockdowns. This is the On On podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, On On. This is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash anthem sung by Mother Hash.
1: Swing low, sweet child.